Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. With us on the phone is a good friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show, Sonia Harper, State Representative Sonia Harper, the pride and joy of Englewood from the 6th Legislative District. Sonia Harper, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here. It's been um, a couple months, I think, Sonia, since the last time you were on the show and we were talking, what else, about cannabis. Uh, this is a subject of great concern to you and me for a lot of different reasons. Uh, it's been in the news lately because the state uh, just came out with uh, uh, the um, 21 entities, named the 21 entities who will get to uh, be in the lottery uh, for dispensary license, very lucrative, potentially lucrative dispensary licenses. And there's a lot of controversy, a lot of upset in Chicago uh, that there were no, not more black owned firms um, in the process. So we're definitely going to talk about that, Sonia Harper, but I'm not going to let you leave without having a little presidential talk as well and um, get your thoughts on what Donald Trump is up to. Uh, So, uh, Sonia, let's start with the issuance of the license. Uh, What got me uh, uh, interested in calling you, I got a press release from your office and I saw the statement that you signed, the open letter to uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, talking in the most general terms about your reaction uh, to the uh, the awarding of well the the uh, the dispensaries the twenty one entities that are allowed to go into the lottery. Go ahead. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, like you said, I represent uh, West Inglewood and Inglewood areas that are still suffering the effects from the war on drugs. And so when when I saw the list of applicants who were being placed in the lottery, just twenty one applicants for seventy five licenses. It's just not what I expected to see from the process. Not just what I didn't expect to see, but many, many, other, many, many other members of the Black Caucus, the Latino Caucus, Progressive Caucus, of course, other caucuses. Um, and so, yes, we're right now uh, in the moment where we're trying to understand these numbers a little bit better and work with the governor's office to make whatever changes we may need to uh, make to make things look as equitable as possible. All right, let me quote from the letter uh, that the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus uh, wrote and sent to Governor Pritzker. And uh, this is a uh, joint caucus of House members and Senate members. Uh, Governor Pritzker, September 4, 2020. Governor Pritzker, quote, when we voted to legalize cannabis over a year ago, we did so with the intent of correcting the wrongs of the past while providing economic stimulus to Illinois, Illinoisans who have been harmed the most by the war on drugs. Since that time, each of us have been touched by stories of constituents that believe that the licensing process in Illinois would provide social equity. These calls for economic justice have only increased amongst a growing recognition that an economy that works for a select few has always left people of color behind. We've seen it as our communities have grappled with COVID-19. We've seen it as our constituents find themselves underpaid and out of work. And we've seen it with increasing 
violence in black and browns communities. In this moment, Illinois has more tools to do right by our constituents than ever. We voted for a law that had a framework for the administration to create more black and Latino cannabis startups than any other state in the country. That's why we were shocked to see that up to 75 dispensaries will be awarded to 21 entities. Our shock is outweighed by the countless calls we fielded from constituents questioning if this process was equitable and achieved the goals we share to diversify the cannabis industry. That's uh, how the letter opens. 21 entities uh, uh, for 75 dispensaries. It just doesn't seem fair, Sonia. It does not seem fair. And so the one of the first questions um, that I asked is, how is that possible? And so apparently they just brought over language that was in our medical and our also our recreational language that said that applicants could apply for up to 10 licenses in every district. And so now today we're asking the question, well, can a true social equity applicant, you know, have the means to put up 10 different applications all over the state? And I think that's how we got what we got today. Um, I know that going forward, that's one of the changes that I would like to see take place, along with many others, to the scoring and the selection process. Now, when you say true social equity applicant, what do you mean by that? Meaning a person who has entered this process um, uh, um, you know, in, in, in the right mind, in the true mind, a true social equity applicant fitting the criteria, not just someone who has just went out to find some other people names on a paper so that they can fill out an application to gain social equity status. So the people who we had in mind when we were writing and drafting the bill, again, those who have been truly impacted for, for, um, by the war on drugs, those who have lived in a disproportionately impacted community, those who may have a cannabis conviction, those who may be the parent or the spouse of a person who has a cannabis uh, conviction. Those are who we regard um, as true social equity applicants, but also having the right amount of equity and control in that operating agreement and in that business. Yeah, I know exactly what you're getting at, Sonia. There's, uh, there's a bit of a long sorted history in Chicago, and you know this as well as I do, uh, where we're front organizations. So it'll be a white-owned company, and they'll put a black person up front to be like the front, if you get what I'm saying, uh, to get the contract. And I this really... I got to say, when I look at the history of cannabis, and you know we've had this conversation, when I've looked at the history of how uh, marijuana has been treated in our city and our state for all these years, just the disproportionate amount of punishment has been meted out to black people. So now we're finally given some goodies uh, in the form of licenses to legally sell marijuana, and I'm seeing a disproportionate amount of goodies going to what looks like white own firms. Do you sense, do do you have the same feeling about this that I do, Sonia? Yes. Um, that's why we're asking for more transparency, especially in regards to the authenticity of ownership and control by the social equity applicant. So, you know, part of that letter to the governor was also requesting information um, that's listed on the application that would give us the clue um, as to those relationships as well. However, we're being told that you know 
we can't see that information right now where they're in the application phase. Um, you know, that's kind of where we left off and that in order to even be able to see the applications, it would only be after they are approved and in that conditional licensing phase. Hmm. Uh, wow. They're not going to let you see it up front. That's interesting. Uh, the, um, another part of the letter is, uh, you're asking for background about KM, KPMG's no bid contract and more information about who conducted the review process. Uh, KPMG, uh, is the consulting for, firm that the state, uh, hired to sift through all these applicants to determine, uh, genuine social equity. Uh, what do you know about KPMG right now? I don't know a whole lot about KPMG, except that we gave them $7 million to administer this application process where we're only getting 21 applicants for, for 75 licenses. And I've just learned that an employee from KPMG is on three of those applications that are now up for a lottery. So right now I'm trying to find out all I can about KPMG. Yeah, so that right there uh, suggests a conflict of interest. The company uh, hired to oversee the process was in fact bidding for a license, correct? Yeah, bidding for a license and now has been it has three different spots on the line. Yeah. Yes, has is bidding for a license. <laughs> uh, and uh, so initially you were calling uh, for the state to delay awarding out the licenses uh, until some of these questions can be answered. Uh, Sonia, is that you still your position? That is still my position. Yes. Now I've been hearing from some uh, social uh, equity applicants who got uh, a license. They're like, no, 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 don't delay. We put up so much money as it is. Uh, don't delay. Whatever you do, don't delay. Uh, what's your response to that? The feeling that you might be punishing people who've already spent a lot of time, uh, money and effort to get to this point uh, if you delay it. Well, again, like I say, I, I, I know some of those folks too, and, I'm, and I honor and I congratulated them um, who were placed in the lottery. And we do not want to slow things down, but we do want to make sure we're moving in the right direction correctly and efficiently, right? Um, and so what I've been told um, is that it's highly unlikely, you know, that we will be able to stop the process. And even if we do, it could delay things two or three years. Do we want to do that? No. But do we want to get things right? Yes, we do. And so I don't see the harm in taking a little bit of time right now, right here, before we hand out those conditional licenses and even before we give out the craft grow infuser and transport license to make sure we are following um, the correct procedure here and to make sure that there is definitely no conflict of interest, especially uh, and, uh, a million dollars to make sure that there was none. That is correct. You would think you put that money up front. Uh, you would you would not have a conflict of interest on the back end. Uh, what's been the uh, the response of the Pritzker administration uh, to your letter and to uh, your general concerns? So while we have not gotten an, an, a true official response, we have been in some beginning conversations. Um, of course, with the wonderful Toy Hutchinson, who's in uh, working in the cannabis office, uh, and basically trying to explain to us the demographics of those 21 applicants and trying to, you know, get us to think that these are excellent results, though maybe not the results that we had expected. 
Um, and so where we are right now is just in the beginning of those conversations to see what our next steps are. We're right at the beginning. Yeah, you mentioned Toy Hutchinson. I, I told you this before. She's a dear friend of the show. She used to come on all the time when she was state senator. Now, Toy, I have not heard from you much since, uh, I take much out of that sense. I just know not heard from you uh, since you went to work for Pritzker. Uh, but it puts me in kind of an awkward situation. I just have to make this confession, Sonia. I truly do. Uh, uh, I, I really like uh, Toy a lot, and uh, but I have to be critical of this process. So I'm kind of in an awkward situation. I really like Toy, but I have to be critical of the process. And I know if it wasn't Toy, I'd be ripping them big time. Um, I, I, I am disappointed. And I have to tell you, I'll come, I keep coming back to this. And I just think ordinary citizens share my sense of disappointment here, Sonia. 75 licenses, 21 applicants. It just the, the it just doesn't seem fair that's that the, the you know people with deep pockets can put in that money uh, to apply over and over again uh, so they automatically have a leg up over everyone else and they just gobble up the goodies and so you can't spread it out fairly I just have an issue with that part right off the bat what's your response. Yeah, I have an issue with that as well, especially when you talk about, you know, giving local preference to different areas of the state um, where it seems that um, Chicago based entities will be the only ones taking over. And so that's why I say we need to go back to our um, application scoring system. What's our point allocation structure? What's our tie breaking policy? And how do we ensure again that we are giving true social equity applicants, especially where Ever they are located on the state and actually based on their location, how are we making sure that whatever equation that we're using is spitting out the results that we need? The other thing that I want to say, um, and this is something that the governor's office will will allude to as well, and that, you know, this is new for us. We're in implementation phase and that this is not a sprint, but rather a marathon. And the whole reason why, you know, we chose not to just give out all of the licenses at one big time is so that we could have time to study the market and see what changes to need to be made. And I think that right now we've hit one of those first spaces where we see some changes um, that need to be made here uh, uh, in this scoring process. So again, um, I'm willing to go back to the table to see, to do whatever studying research we need to come up with another formula if needed, or to um, maybe put in some other provisions inside of the law that will really make people um, believe in the equity that it claims to have. And that will really um, give us the true results or the vision that we um, envision seeing when this is done right. So another uh, criticism I've heard from people uh, has to do with the fact that uh, extra credit was given to a company uh, that was run or owned primarily by a veteran. And uh, many of the applicants were saying we weren't aware uh, that there would be extra points given if the veteran had over 50 percent stake in the company. Uh, And so essentially this was an equity application uh, for veteran run companies. Have you heard that same criticism as well? I have not heard that, but again, that's another reason why I need to see those applications. I need a better, a closer look at the scoring system to see that. Now, off the top of my mind, off the top of my head, I don't remember us giving any um, extra points um, or having any special types of veterans preference. 
um, in the language. So to hear that um, is something that makes me like want to go right back to the law right now to read that and to ask further questions. Um, but again, without seeing the exact applications in my hand and knowing for sure, we can't say what happened in that room when they were making decisions on those applications. Yeah, so here I'm going to uh, read the, the rest of the letter so folks know exactly uh, what you and the other members of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus are, are asking for. Uh, we're, quote, we're searching for answers and therefore are asking you to suspend the lottery process until the following tasks have been completed. This is the letter to Governor Pritzker. Uh, one, post the following exhibits of the top scorers on the website. Uh, Two, uh, exhibit B, principal officer application forms, table of organization, ownership and control and business operating agreement applications. Uh, and then you wanna know uh, evidence of status as a social equity applicant, evidence of status as an Illinois owner and evidence of status as a veteran. What you're really getting at is the fact that so much of this is shrouded uh, behind uh, 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 technicalities. We don't know in many cases, LLCs, that's what I was thinking of, of an LLC uh, corporation that conceals the exact owner of a company. So you don't really know who owns the company. You're t it's almost you're taking it, the public is uh, on faith. Uh, that was my reading of it. Uh, do you agree with me that, Sonia? I do. I do agree with you. We can't just go off of the, you know, the one document um, that's been put out thus far. We would really need to see the operating agreements of those particular companies. All right. Uh, and what other issues are outstanding in terms of um, the process so far? Anything else that we've uh, not touched on? Oh, well, so just in general with cannabis, even before, you know, we, we, we expect to happen to make changes to the law going forward based on results, right? In fact, that was planned. Uh, even though, again, they don't look like how we thought they would look even in this first round. But we also have a number of items on our agenda uh, that we actually wanted to pass last year but couldn't get in that we continue to work on this year. Items such as social consumption, um, home delivery for social equity. They actually just passed a, a really good bill in Massachusetts that allows home delivery specifically and solely for social equity applicants. And so that's really kind of the direction I wanted my delivery bill to go here in Illinois. And so I'm hoping to beef my current bill up with some of that language, um, as well as we're looking to um, ensure that equity goals are met from here on out. And there is a watchdog on, on the entire process going forward with the creation of a cannabis equity commission, um, something that has also been filed that we hope to continue to push through the General Assembly this veto session. Yeah, I, I urge that. Uh, I, it, it's really troublesome when you like the identity of the applicant can be concealed by an LLC is such a valuable asset, this license. And there's so much bad history tied up into the way uh, marijuana laws were unfairly um, uh, prosecuted down through the years. You really need as much transparency and openness as possible. Uh, Sonia, so I'm with you on opening things up and being transparent and don't let them hide behind LLCs anymore so we can know exactly who's getting this valuable license. Uh, I, I don't think we would do that with gambling licenses that were do doling out. And uh, so I think it's the same thing uh, with the um, 
the cannabis dispensaries. All right. Uh, you talk about social consumption bills. Go a little, be a little more specific about that. What, do you, what are you talking about and what do you have in mind? So when, you're, when, when talking about social consumption, of, co- of course, in, in an era where COVID is over, um, we're talking about businesses and places um, that allow people to consume cannabis products on site. So think about your restaurants um, or think about a lounge or think about a special events facility that may um, host parties and people may want to consume cannabis uh, on their properties. Right now, the law does not provide for that to happen or provide for those types of businesses to come about. And so that's exactly what the social consumption licensing um, was all about. Even giving people places to consume cannabis who may not be able to consume it at their home. Since right now, the only legal place that you should be consuming cannabis is in your home. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to think of a social consumption license and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So it's it's really tricky to get people to go to bars anyway. So this would probably be a post pandemic, uh, event. Don't you agree? Yeah, we're that's definitely not something that's high on the agenda. Again, being that, you know, COVID we're in an era of COVID right now. Um, but on the other end of that, you know, home delivery mm-hmm. and what we saw in the beginning of COVID with, you know, lines out the door and, and, and messing up traffic in some areas that could be an option, especially if we can get the social equity component right to make that a real um, economic opportunity for folks to get in the business on the ground level, not really needing to have the capital um, that a dispensary or a growth facility would need. Now, home delivery, you talked about this the last time you were on the show. How would a home delivery uh, system work in terms of, would you have to have, a, a, could you exist independently of a dispensary working in conjunction with a dispensary or is it would just be limited to the dispensaries themselves? So I imagine that they would be able to operate independently of dispensaries, almost like an Uber cannabis, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe the measure in Massachusetts even allows for um, the delivery agent to procure a certain amount of cannabis from dispensaries in order to deliver as well. So there's a couple of different ways you can do it, but I'm definitely, again, looking for this opportunity to get the little man into mm-hmm. business. You know, of course, all day long, you can have a regular dispensary um, deliver their own items. I believe that's how my bill is currently written. However, um, I'm trying to make it again so that we can expand the number of opportunities that your everyday person can get involved in this wide open industry and not even just delivery, but even putting some um, business enterprise uh, requirements around all of the ancillary businesses that are attached to the industry. Sonia, has there been any uh, vocal opposition to your home delivery bill so far? So as it is written, there has not been any opposition. Um, I do probably expect some to come once I'm done amending it to include the provisions that I just discussed. Uh, yeah, I could see I could see people raising a fuss about it. I'm for it 100 uh, percent. Again, we talked about how all these licenses initial round, which is a social equity round supposed to directly benefit the people who've been at the hardest. And we don't even know who some of these firms are. Uh, so here's like a bill that would direct, would help the little man, as you put it. Uh, I would not be surprised if there's opposition from, 
you're trying to help the little man, the big man, somehow or other. Uh, with <laughs> you I follow that is that's how we do in this business. Yeah, I remember. I'm showing my age here, but I remember when the United Center was built, and in the old days at Chicago Stadium, there were these peanut vendors uh, that used to operate independently outside the Chicago Stadium, outside where the Bulls played, and they would be selling their peanuts to fans who walked in. And the the the, the owners of the United Center got the city to pass a rule prohibiting peanut vendors from operating within, like I think, a thousand feet of the United Center. So in other words, uh, so you you had to buy your peanuts from inside the United Center. I'm like, well, you just took away a livelihood for a bunch of quote unquote little men. You know what I mean? And all too often that's what happens. Uh, Sonia, before I let you go, let's take a little a look at some of the other um, uh, points on the the agenda for what you call the Black Movement Agenda. I've been reading a letter from the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, and you're a member of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus. What are some of the other items uh, that our Black legislators are considering? Sure. So we are working on a very robust agenda that we hope um, to get passed during veto session. Our agenda is broken down into four different pillars. Um, those, those pillars are criminal justice reform, police accountability, and violence reduction. The, another pillar is education and workforce development. Um, I'm currently chairing the pillar around economic access, opportunity, and equity. And then also our uh, last pillar is around healthcare and human services. Uh, and so as you could imagine, we have new bills, we have old bills, we have many different initiatives and or funding measures uh, that we want to get through in all of those different um, issue areas, this veto session, you know, as, as it relates to creating a better quality of life for black uh, people here in the state of Illinois, especially during this time of moral reckoning and civil unrest and what seems to be um, some newfound support and respect for black lives. You know, a lot of the initiatives that we're bringing forth are initiatives that we've been trying to get past for years or for decades, but just couldn't seem to get over the hump and get enough support from our colleagues down in Springfield. And so now during this time, with many of our colleagues and even industry organizations reaching out saying, well, how can we help you? And how can we help the caucus? And how can I help the sixth district? The way that you guys can help is by passing every single solitary one of these initiatives that we bring this coming veto session. Uh, you talk about uh, renewed support. Uh, I recall so many debates in the general assembly. I can recall, uh, Julianne Stratton's bill uh, allowing, this is before obviously she became Lieutenant Governor, uh, that would uh, allow people being held in jail uh, without charges because they can't make a bond uh, and uh, allowing them to vote and the opposition. So yeah, I don't recall, I, I think you may have been in the uh, the state house for that one. I don't know, I, can't, I just can't remember. Just the, the fierce opposition uh, for, by many Republican legislators saying it was a go easy on crime bill uh, and uh, that uh, they were treating people who uh, were held because they couldn't make bail as though they had already been uh, convicted. Has that hostility that was expressed to that bill waned any, in your opinion, has it uh, disappeared somewhat uh, since uh, in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder or is it as strong as ever? I do not have enough information uh, 
to, to have an opinion on that right now because we haven't been in session. We haven't been debating any bills or taking up any measures that we need specifically to help certain communities, such as people incarcerated or, you know, such as people living on the south and west sides of Chicago or in East St. Louis, Peoria, it seems to be at those moments when you can tell that we're specifically fighting for black people that we tend to get uh, the most animosity um, and, and, and the most opposition from the Republican Party, uh, even though they represent uh, people who we're speaking on their behalf as well. Yeah. Uh, and I always like to point out the Republican Party uh, is really tough on law and order for everybody other than Donald Trump. Whenever Donald Trump's in trouble, they always talk about due process and make sure he gets his rights and make sure they're not unfairly uh, going after him, the prosecutors. And they will appeal every single request a prosecutor makes for information from Donald Trump. They'll they'll take it. You, the prosecutor wants his taxes? No way. How many times are they going to appeal that case on your Harper? I don't know. And so it's law and order for everyone except for Donald John Trump. All right, so that leads me to this. Uh, your thoughts and opinions right now of the presidential race as we head down uh, the final stretch, uh, Labor Day's traditionally viewed as the starting point when like, like everybody, not just junkies like Ben and Sonia, are paying attention. Uh, <laughs> what's your attitude of, the, the, of the, the campaign that Donald John Trump is running right now? <laughs> Um, I mean, I think Donald Trump is being Donald Trump is, is all that I can say. Um, and I just hope that we can do, we can do what we need to do as a party to turn out our votes, uh, and make the statements that we need to make this year. Cause we can't continue in the way that we have been. When you say Donald Trump is being Donald Trump, what do you mean by that? I think that um, he's being his authentic self and also being a vessel, um, you know, for his his right wing cohorts. You know, I think he's always going to, um, you know, put himself first and and claim that he's always right uh, and, and, and always go low, so to speak. And so, again, he's just being himself. He's just putting on a show for the cameras and, and trying to back up the work or the lack thereof that he's done while in office. Um, and, and the, and the terrible, you know, the terrible way he has left our country in this moment, right? Suffering from a global pandemic in a way that we should not have been, um, not doing anything and adding, you know, to the civil unrest and, the feelings of unsafety and, and, and racial and prejudice. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that Donald Trump is just look for him to continue to be him. Um, what are we going to do differently to make sure that we don't lose the, the presidential election like we did four years ago? That is a great question. Uh, I mean, I spent so much of my time uh, studying Donald Trump, the things he says, how he's trying to, uh, to play uh, against divisions. I think I think Jesse Jackson had this uh, story in today sometimes, uh, Sonia, and it's like uh, Biden is trying to win uh, by multiplication. Donald Trump is trying to win by division. I had to give Jesse Jackson credit for that one. Uh, and uh, it was in today sometimes an essay uh, that he wrote. But what should, in your humble opinions, the Democrats, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, be doing uh, to win this election? 
Well, you know, my thoughts for them in this election isn't any different than what I've told Democrats in every election. First of all, pay attention to all of your voters, not just the ones that voted in the last three elections. Go after our disconnected voters, especially during this time um, of we think that Black Lives Matter, since we were front and center for the Democratic National Convention, let me see that in your outreach to voters. Let me see that in the way that you energize um, the base and you energize our communities to be involved in a way that they've never been before. I remember back um, when I was just a young organizer in Inglewood, you know, we had an Inglewood vote campaign and it was nonpartisan, but we know who we were fighting for. But it was just about because we had the lowest voter turnout in the city of Chicago. It was just about getting our numbers up and being and, and participating and being involved and being engaged. And so I think that that's what Democrats, what we should always be doing. And again, not just pay attention to those voters who we think we can depend on, because as you can see, you couldn't really just depend on them in that last election. You have to go after our younger voters, our newer voters, our disconnected voters, our people who are returning home from prison who have been told that they have lost their right to vote but actually have it and just aren't using it. That's what we need to do. I hear the Republican Party are going after our disconnected voters and trying to go after our black voters. And there's that in no way should that ever be possible. They should not have one talking point that they can use to take any vote away from us at this point. Um, but we do have to, to show them that we are engaged. And you can tell from the way that our communities are responding in times of crisis that they don't feel like they're being engaged. Do you think there's a possibility that Donald Trump could uh, pick up some votes uh, in your district? Uh, no, I do not. I've had this debate with many different guests. I'm with you 100%. He's not getting any uh, 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 votes out of your district. But the bigger problem, uh, and Sonia, I think that you were alluding to this, is that he feeds this sense of uh, alienation and nihilism and disconnect and, uh, and oh, what the hell, what difference does it make anyway? I'm not going to vote. Uh, and people don't show up and vote, and that effectively is a vote for Donald Trump. That's how exactly. I do it. Um, everything today is vote and census. Did you do your census, and did you vote, and are you going to vote? Like, right now, that's what we need to do. Vote and do your census. We're not doing so good in either one of those categories right now in some of our communities across the state. And then when it's said and done, really don't drop the ball and put the pressure on the politicians that you do elect to, to do the right thing, which is what you guys are trying to do right here uh, with this uh, social equity uh, cannabis effort uh, with the state of Illinois. Sonia, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show and uh, stay safe and sound. All right. I will. Thank you so much, Ben. All right. You take care of that. Sonia Harper. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone.